Hello and a very warm welcome to Econoday Unplugged on Thursday, 23rd of March 2023. Terry Sheehan's on US East Coast, Max Arto's in British Columbia, Brian Jackson's in Sydney, and I'm Jeremy Hawkins in London. The recent turmoil in the global banking sector has added a new level of uncertainty to the economic outlook and significantly complicated the task of many central banks. Multiple failures in the US and the enforced takeover of Switzerland's Credit Suisse by UBS has set contagion nerves jangling, prompting downgrades to growth forecasts and, in some instances, triggering a marked reappraisal of where official interest rates might be headed. However, with the European Central Bank opting to hike benchmark rates by 50 basis points last week, the Federal Reserve by 25 basis points yesterday, and the Swiss National Bank and the Bank of England by 50 basis points and 25 basis points respectively earlier today, policymakers would still seem to be more focused on getting inflation back under control. Nonetheless, efforts to stabilise financial markets have meant renewed central bank intervention. So for now, quantitative tightening will have to run alongside fresh injections of liquidity needed to reassure investors that another global financial crisis is not just around the corner. So in today's podcast, we'll have a look at just how important the fallout from all this might be to economies and policies around the globe. So, Terry, um, let's kick off with you. The, this banking crisis was triggered your side of the pond by initially at least the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. Um, and that certainly prompted what record borrowing at the Fed's discount window last week. Um, do you think the authorities have done enough so far to calm investors nerves or are they just papering over the cracks? I, I think they've done a pretty good job of reassuring the banking system that there will be ample liquidity for them. But, and uh, so far, it seems like uh, the thing that's worrying um, a lot of investors out there right now is, is there a systemic problem in the U.S. banking system? We'll probably hear more about that uh, next week when Vice Chair of Supervision Michael Barr is going to appear before the House Financial Services Committee on Wednesday. Uh, so uh, we can expect him to get quite a grilling. OK, I mean, I'll ask you about the FOMC in a minute, but just to obviously mention we saw rates go up yesterday um, and uh, I guess it sounded like they might want to put rates up again. Do you think the banking sector can stand another interest rate hike? Well, I think the outlook is probably for another 25 basis points and then pause. So. Yes, I think they can. I think uh, a lot of banks have been put on notice that they need to take a careful look at uh, how they're managing their capital and their risks. And uh, I think a lot of behind-the-scenes action has probably addressed some of the problems right now. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the, the another 25 basis points, but probably not much more. Okay. Let me ask about Mr. Powell yesterday. One of the comments um, I saw him make, which I thought sounded quite interesting, was that you could effectively view the banking sector strain as a rate hike. So does that mean then that because of what's happening now, we shouldn't be expecting interest rates to go up as high as they previously did? Good question. Um, I think we probably can. Um, I think we're what we're seeing right now is a little short-term volatility uh, and once things settle down again the, the rates will be a little bit higher 
Okay, so you say short-term volatility because I mean, looking at these dot plots from the FOMC, if I've got it right, they're effectively expecting um, Fed funds or interest rates at the end of this year to be pretty well where they expect them to be um, in December, uh, the December yep. FOMC minutes. Um, but we've still got markets believing that rates going to be well, well, the best part of 100 basis points lower. So now, who do you think's right now? Um, as a result of this banking issue, do you think it's more likely that markets will be right? Or do you think that the Fed basically is going to get through this and its, you know, its current view is uh, more probably going to be correct? Well, I think we just went through this a couple of months ago with markets anticipating smaller hikes or or um, signal for rate reductions sometime mm-hmm. this year. And so far as the Fed's forecast is concerned, uh, I I think we're not looking for any rate cuts this year. And I think that the financial markets are getting ahead of themselves. Okay, with regards to that, then what's the latest um, on the U.S. economy? So you're not looking for any rate cuts. So presumably uh, that either means the economy is doing pretty well or you're not confident about inflation coming down fast enough. I think it's more the latter. I think uh, from Powell's comments yesterday that they're just not seeing enough evidence that inflation is coming down as quickly as they might hope. Uh, So we can look for maybe not much higher rates, but for a restrictive policy to maintain for a while. The U.S. economy, at least uh, in the data available so far for the first quarter, actually has looked pretty good. But now with this uh, disruption in the banking sector, uh, it may have a slightly different outcome um, for the March data than we expected. Now, we're seeing stronger housing market data than we were expecting because of the dip in mortgage interest rates. So that's kind of a plus. The labor market remains very, very strong. Uh, you know, we may not be adding mm-hmm. tons of jobs. But we're not losing jobs so right. far. And uh, we, we are seeing in the surveys of manufacturing and services for March that there does appear to be uh, slowing in activity, but it doesn't look like it's uh, accelerating from what we saw in February. So I, I think the first quarter is looking to be what Alan others referred to as subpar growth, but um, and it may actually be a little bit of a negative, which it often is in the first quarter. But uh, the underlying trend seems to be pretty good right now. Consumers are still spending. They are getting relief in some aspects of inflation that affect households. So uh, for the moment, at least, uh, we are getting through. Okay. Now, Mr. Quinn, some I noticed some at least some investment houses anyway have downgraded their growth forecast for this for this year, and that largely seems to be on the assumption that because of the problems in the banking sector, are looking for a cut in lending, particularly from the the small and medium sized banks. Um, do you think that will be have a significant impact in the economy this year, or do you think you know, perhaps they're going to be a bit carried away with the downgrades? I think they're maybe getting a bit carried away, but I do think that. Uh, it's kind of interesting that back when Powell was giving a semi-annual monetary policy testimony, there was a lot of concern about uh, 
over-regulation of the smaller and regional banks. And now it's looking like we they've been kind of under-regulated. Mm-hmm. So uh, it is going to be an adjustment for the banking sector. They are going to be looking very carefully at uh, over-reliance on single sectors or um, that the they where uh, regulators have been seeing problems, there's going to be, I think, uh, more effort to address them quickly. Okay, fair enough. And the last, the last one from me I was going to ask you, and we've seen the bond markets rally ever since this uh, these banking issues started breaking. Do you think we're at a stage now whereby, as far as the Federal Reserve's concerned, you know, longer dated borrowing costs are too low, given the state of the economy and inflation? I think they would like to see um, a little bit higher rates there, uh, but I think they also have to allow them to work. They, they have to allow underlying conditions to uh, work their way through. Yeah, fair point, I must say, for all these central banks, given the amount of tightening they've done so far, as we all know, long and variable lags before we get the full effect. Yeah. Okay, well, that was my last question. Anything else you'd like to put into the pot, Terry, before I move on? Uh, no, I think that's about it. Okay, great. Thanks for that. Okay, Max, uh, Canada, I guess what, Bank of Canada had already eased its, um, well, so I should say, paused its tightening process earlier on this month. Um, is there any real fallout uh, for the Canadian banking sector and indeed for BOC policy from you know, the turmoil we have in the banking sector at the moment? I don't see any signs at the moment, uh, Jeremy, um, particularly because um, Canada's um, uh, major banks are have been strictly restri- uh, regulated and then also they have uh, uh, this long-held uh, business model of uh, charging um, um, a fee for every transaction and I don't know if you've lived here before but uh, not much choice uh, among the uh, six big you know five six banks and just like uh, we don't have much choice in um, uh, mobile phone plans so um, uh, their financial health is pretty good and um, so I don't see any uh, uh, major impact on the um, profitability, uh, profitability in the banking sector here. Okay, fair enough. Right, let's go on to the economy then. Um, As mentioned, BOC on hold, at least for the time being, and you had some surprisingly soft inflation data in February, Um, obviously depending what happens in the States and so on. But what do you think is the outlook now for the Canadian economy and indeed uh, what the Bank of Canada might be doing this year? I think the the pace of uh, slowdown is as the Bank of Canada expected and they're happy about it. Um, I think... So if you look at the uh, charts of the CPI and the core CPI uh, measures, um, Mm -hmm. we're just back to where we started um, um, about a year ago. So uh, they still have a little bit room to to go down further. And um, I think uh, the best position for the Bank of Canada right now is to uh, keep in the uh, conditional pause um, stance and uh, with a slight um, bias towards uh, uh, potential tightening, but uh, there's no talk of uh, rate cuts, uh, as uh, Terry mentioned, for the, the Fed. That, mm-hmm. you know, I, don't, I don't see any uh, need uh, uh, for, the, for this year anyway. All right. Steady as she goes in Canada. Um, let's just move across to Japan. 
I would guess that there's a fairly stable deposit base for um, domestic banks in Japan. Uh, so investors won't be too worried about the, the banking situation at the moment. Is that, is that a fair comment? We're going to see uh, the Bank of Japan's latest uh, view on that in April for the um, uh, twice annual uh, um, financial system uh, uh, review. And uh, but at, at this moment, you know, the three major banking groups, um, even though they have um, system problems and uh, maybe, uh, you know, still suffering from the negative interest rate overnight rates, uh so profitability profit margins low but they're, they're basically uh leaving um a chunk of money cash at the uh, central bank and uh the so the deposits are safe uh, um over there and they're still buying um government bonds although um, unrealized losses are uh rising a bit the, the main concern has been uh, on the uh, regional banks. It's like a triple whammy of a falling population in rural areas, mm-hmm. um, very low profit margins for all the banks um, because of Bank of Japan's super low interest rate uh, continuing for almost 10 years. And um, then the latest is uh, still uh, remaining thanks to the uh, um, the shutdown during the uh, pandemic. So um, both the government and the BOJ have been asking regional banks to try to merge, and they give and Bank of Japan has been giving a bonus interest uh, on deposits uh, uh, to the uh, regional banks in exchange for uh, plans to merge or, um, or and also uh, cut back on their costs. Interesting. OK, you mentioned, say, the older yield curve control, at least for the uh, very low interest rates had for such a long time now. There's been some changes on the at the Bank of Japan, clearly the new governor. But I'll we have, was it so-called Mr. Yield Curve Control himself being appointed as the executive director in charge of monetary policy? So is this going to be implications for when we might finally see a shift in the yield curve control structure? Um, I know the expectation, expectation has been high that... Uh, the new uh, board is at least going to consider mm-hmm. um, changing the yield curve uh, um, control details or even uh, abolishing the uh, 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 unpopular um, negative interest rate on the uh, uh, short end. But um, now that uh, we're seeing um, financial failures in other countries, I think uh, they're going to start the new regime uh, fairly carefully. And as you can see in the government's monetary economic report, uh, the government has been saying they expect the uh, Bank of Japan to uh, uh, continue providing monetary uh, support. So um, I don't think there's going to be a drastic change, but it it is, um, it would be more natural to let uh, the longer end uh, yield rise a little bit along the uh, expectations for our um, economic recovery, and that would be uh, a more uh, natural course of action. But um, uh, it's going to be a careful uh, process, I think. And without uh, announcing the start of a review or even uh, uh, producing um, a serious review, I don't think they're just going to announce that they're going to uh, change the whole uh, right. framework. Okay. 
And I guess, you know, part and parcel of what they are going to do is obviously down to inflation. Now, we saw was it a sharp decline or deceleration, I should say, in the, the Tokyo rate um, for February. Um, how much of that was due to sort of underlying factors and how much was it just due to government subsidies and the like? I suppose, you know, the big picture is what, what's actually happening to underlying inflation in Japan now? Um, it's, um, it's basically the effect of the government's uh, expanded uh, subsidies for both business and consumer um, uh, gas suppliers. So um, that's basically it. But at the same time, uh, still there's an upward uh, uh, pressures from uh, food suppliers, durable goods because of um, uh, still high import costs. And that in economics term is just uh, uh, cost push inflation, not uh, demand pull. So it's not really what uh, the government and BOJ uh, want to see, and uh, uh, having said so, on, on slightly uh, brighter side, uh, companies are uh, scrambling to offer at least temporary, uh, temporality, you know, uh, benefits and uh, wage hikes because they don't want to lose people, and that's because of the uh, serious inflation. But if you if you look at the uh, uh, core of the core inflation, I think it's about three percent now, but again. Um, if you look at the base effect of a last year's spike in commodities and energy costs, that would gradually come off um, uh, towards the end of the uh, uh, fiscal year starting um, this April. All right. Okay, that's fair enough. Anything else you want to add? Um, nothing so far. Okay, great. Many thanks for that, Max. Right then, um, let's go to Sydney, Bran. China. Um, what do we got? Well, first cut of the year in uh, bank reserve ratio. Um, was it last week, wasn't it? Um, why? Well, I think they're still, um, you know, relatively uh, weak in, in terms of, um, you know, this this rebound that we are seeing from um, uh, last year where the weakness was, was you know, uh, um, very much driven by the public health restrictions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as we know, they've they've lifted those um, at, at, towards the end of last year, and we are seeing a, a bit of a, uh, a, a response in the data that we've had to had to date so far this year. But um, yeah, it's still a, a pretty uh, subdued economy, and uh, I guess they just wanted to give it a little bit of a of a nudge, and also perhaps uh, in response to concerns about you know broader financial stability around the world. Um, yeah, I, I think the, the the bottom line though is that. Uh, you know, they're reasonably uh, confident that we will see um, those numbers, um, you know, start, to, you know, continue to improve in coming months, um, given that public health conditions have improved. Okay, uh, can I ask about inflation as well? Because we saw was it a very low number for February. If I remember right, it was it one percent headline number for the CPI, which was yeah. well below what the market was expecting. Um, is that just some kind of wobble due to the way the data are constructed and Lunar New Year and this sort of thing, or is it the fact that you know, growth has slowed so much now that the inflationary pressures, which haven't been that strong, up, let's be honest, in the first place, but you know, they seem to be dissipating? Uh, I think you've got to really pay uh, a lot of attention just to the to the timing of Lunar New Year holidays. I mean, if you look at January, January was uh, was up from December. It was 2.1%. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, yeah, you did have that step down in February. And that's quite a common 
thing to happen in in the first couple of months. A, a bit of volatility between the January and February numbers, just because of all the the, the base effects that that get uh, messed up by uh, the time of the Lunar New Year holidays. So it's probably better to take an average or, or some sort of combination of, of those two months, and then when you do that, it's it's you know not too far from where we were towards the end of uh, 2022. Uh, and you know, I don't think a, a real uh, indication that uh, you know we will see a, a big shift in in where inflation is heading. Okay, and I've got to ask you: Is that any kind of fallout in China from the banking crisis? I, I haven't heard a lot of discussion or seen a lot of um, mm. you know people talking about it. Um, you know, they 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 can um, often be relatively insulated from these things. Uh, you know, obviously, it's a very different banking system in China, and um, you know, a lot of government control over over what is happening there. So. You know, there's there's plenty of problems in the Chinese banking system, but I, yeah, the, the contagion from this specific event, I, I don't think is is a huge uh, focus at the moment. Okay, uh, and I guess we move across more to your part of the world in terms of Australia and presumably uh, New Zealand as well. Uh, fallout there seems to be relatively limited. I must say, I saw a comment, if I can find it, from the um, I think the RBN's as chief economist, uh, basically saying that they're not worried about having to access the old swap lines from the Fed, so liquidity doesn't seem to be an issue there and that's sort of typical of the region yeah and i mean i, I was, i've been trying to find some comments actually from from the rba you know their response to it and i haven't really mm-hmm. found it so yeah i don't think they're too concerned about it we have had the uh the the australian treasurer um come out and just you know basically say yeah we're we're, we're good don't worry about it everything's under control um just sort of right. um, you know reassuring domestic markets and again, it doesn't seem to be a, a, a huge uh, focus uh, for officials at the moment. OK, but if we, so we stick with Australia then. Um, it does seem that from what the RBA, well, it was, uh, where are they? beginning of the month, wasn't it, uh, when it came out and did the latest increase in interest rates, which didn't surprise anyone. Was it fair to say that they've kind of tempered some of their hawkish guidance on policy now? Uh, they have, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, not only in the statement, you know, they, they basically acknowledged, um, you know, the, the impact of previous policy tightening and, um, you know, you know, just uh, recognising that, you know, they've already done quite a bit and so that might mean that, you know, we're coming to the end. But they, they actually went into a little bit more, um, or a little bit more explicit in the minutes, which came out um, a few days ago, mm-hmm. uh, just saying, look, you know, we actually will put on the table at the next meeting, um, you know, the, the considering a, a pause in, in rate hikes. Um, whether that happens in April or May, you know, people are starting to think, okay, they, they are close to, uh, you know, pausing or, you know, and, and then perhaps holding for a while. What they said in the minutes was, in particular, they'll be looking at three numbers, uh, the employment number, retail sales, and the monthly inflation number. So we've already had the employment number uh, that was out last week, and that was actually pretty strong. So right. that could obviously... Uh, uh, way towards uh, you know, going again next month. Uh, so we'll see what happens with the retail sales and the the inflation, you know, the, the new monthly inflation number, which will come out in the days leading up to that uh, April meeting. So, you know, if that shows, um, you know, a bit of weakness in retail sales, a, a bit more of a, a drop in, in the monthly inflation number, then I still think, you know, on balance, you'd probably expect at least another hike in April. But, you know, they're, they're obviously starting to think about uh, pausing at some stage. Right. And is that the same sort of applies to the, the RBNZ? Yeah, I think they're still, yeah, leaning towards um, some more. Uh, but, um, you know, 
also conscious as, as the RBA is, is that of the fact that they've done quite a bit. The other thing that though that is going to be muddying the water in uh, New Zealand though is just um, the impact of, of these cyclones that we had back in in February. Right. They they noted when they um, raised policy rates in in the immediate aftermath of that that that's going to uh, you know impact. Uh, it's probably going to. Uh, you know, reduce activity in the short term, boost uh, uh, price pressures in the short term, hmm. and that they want to look through, you know, that that short term impact. Uh, but how they actually, um, you know, balance those factors with with the longer term issues is going to be interesting, and, and no doubt that will be a, a a talking point at the at the next RBNZ meeting. We are already starting to see the the impact of of that in the data. Uh, we had some trade data out um, again earlier in the week showing a big drop in trade flows in February. And that was, you know, largely just because of the of the damage to infrastructure and uh, particularly around one of the major ports in New Zealand. Uh, just, you know, just physically meant that uh, trade flows were, were lower than what they would have been. And I think that's just going to be a common uh, a message in our reports on New Zealand data in the next few months, just the impact of, of that of, of that cyclone damage in February. And so that will put a little bit of volatility and just means, you know, we have to think a little bit harder about how, how that might feed into RBNZ policy. Yeah, as ever, trying to work out what the underlying picture is. Um, OK, yeah. right. anything else from your part of the world, Brian? Uh, just, uh, you know, it's interesting that we are, uh, you know, I think seeing uh, a bit of a, a um, you know, divergence in some of the central banks here. We had we had Taiwan yesterday. It it, um, it raised rates 2.5 mm-hmm. basis points. Because? Uh, uh, well, just, yeah, it's it's still obviously dealing with inflation pressures yeah. and um, a few people did think that they might have uh, held, but um, you know they went ahead. But then we've also had you know the BOK, uh, sort of Bank of in, in South Korea. Um, you know they're sort of starting to think about um, you know they 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 didn't hike last time, and they're they're thinking about some of the of the of the different impacts. One of the things that was interesting, we, we did have a a, a a sort of report come out from the Bank of Korea, a, a bit of a study about what the impact of you know, a recovery in the Chinese economy will have on their economy. Um, and, uh, you know, it could be a bit of a template for how a Chinese recovery will impact, you know, more broadly uh, countries in the region. They, their assessment, the, the economists at the Bank of Korea, is that the recovery in uh, China is mainly going to be, um, you know, driven by domestic consumption rather than um, an increase in export demand. Uh, just noting, you know, there's been such a build-up in inventories um, you might not see uh, Chinese uh, demand actually in, in, the, in the very near term benefiting uh, you know, regional exporters. It might be mainly a domestic-led recovery. So that, you know, that, that's quite interesting and, and that you know, we, we can see going forward whether um, you know, there, there is uh, much of an impact on, on external demand for some of these major Asian countries. Okay, great. Thanks for that, Brian. Right, let's round off with uh, Europe. Um, well, I guess banking worries may not have stopped the central banks tightening today or indeed last week, but they've certainly trimmed some of the expected peaks to money market rates, typically, I guess, uh, between what, about 30 and 50 basis points. Um, and indeed, it's worthwhile pointing out, at least as far as Europe's concerned anyway, that uh, banking stocks lost uh, further ground today. They're down about two and a half percent or so. So they're still above the lows we saw after the uh, the SVB announcement. But even so, banking sector as a whole in Europe still looks to be extremely shaky. 
Nonetheless, we mentioned in the intro the uh, the Swiss National Bank earlier today rose by their policy rate by another 50 basis points to 1.5%. And very much the clear message in that was that one, don't worry about the Swiss banking sector. It's it's perfectly stable at the moment. Um, And two, they're not happy with the recent rise in inflation, which has certainly caught some people by surprise, which means that they're still very much looking to tighten policy until such time as they get inflation sustainably back down below 2%. And on that front, it's worth noting that the updated economic forecast the uh, the Swiss National Bank came out with uh, shows inflation actually above 2% throughout their three-year forecast horizon. So I guess implicit within that is that policy is still too loose. So at this stage, clearly banking sector issues notwithstanding, um, it looks as if we could well see perhaps 25 basis points at their next meeting. Um, Where are we at the back end of June time? Nonetheless, looking at the banking sector in Switzerland, obviously, uh, we had the uh, the Credit Suisse takeover by UBS. Uh, bottom line to that, I suppose, is that, you know, it's still a case of too big to fail certainly applies. Um, Credit Suisse or assets of about 300 and 530 billion Swiss francs on its balance sheet at the end of 2022. So that is more than double what Silicon Valley banks had. So it does underline how important it was as a global banking player. And also, of course, it's one of the what two dozen or so primary dealers with the Federal Reserve. So the big picture is still a case that you know, when you get a really big bank, they're not prepared to let it go under. Um, what else can I say about Europe? Well, as far as the ECBs mentioned in the intro last week, they hiked by 50 basis points, which is an interesting decision because clearly that came shortly after the, the American banking wobbles. And there was a lot of suspicion that they might decide to do perhaps only 25 basis points or even not do anything at all. They had, of course, pre-announced at the February meeting uh, that they wanted to do 50 points. And in many ways, I think they kind of sort of got themselves into a corner whereby as some members apparently actually uh, admitted that they worried that had they not done a whole 50 basis points, then it would have been interpreted by markets as a possible indication that there are banking problems at home. And they certainly didn't want to do that. Nonetheless, some of the comments we had coming out just before the ECB meeting from some of the governing council members intimated that, well, look, we shouldn't be doing more than 25 basis points. So the fact that they actually did 50 suggests there are still some fairly large splits taking place on the the, um, ECB at the moment. Market reaction um, has certainly been helped to the banking situation has certainly helped to trim expectations of just how high rates will go. We're looking at three months money uh, that the peak for this year prior to the um, Silicon Valley Bank problems was at 4.1 percent. That's now been trimmed down to just three and a half percent. So effectively, they're talking at most what another 50 basis points uh, on ECB interest rates. Um, bottom line, I think from most of the comments coming out still suggests um, that they really they're not happy with where inflation is going at the moment. Of course, they had a really bad set of inflation numbers for February. And the chief economist, Philip Lane, I think it was yesterday, was saying effectively, well, if a baseline forecast holds up, then to quote, there's absolutely more to do. So again, they've still got obviously one eye on banking sector, but our fundamentals suggest as far as they're concerned, at least inflation numbers anyway, is that interest rates have to go up further again. As far as the Bank of England concerned today, uh, they fulfilled market expectations, putting rates up by 25 basis points. So that puts our benchmark rate, the bank rate, at uh, 4.25 percent. 
as expected. The vote was seven to two. And I must say, originally beginning of this week, I thought it could be a lot closer than that with more people going for no change. Uh, the two voters here of two main doves, again, calling for no change in interest rates. But effectively, I think they were boxed in after a, a big surprise jump in the CPI for February announced earlier on this week. Uh, the bank admitted it was 0.6 percentage points above the bank's own call, went up to some 10.4 percent, the annual inflation rate, which well above both the bank's call and also what markets were expecting as well. Prior to that, even the governor himself, Andrew Bailey, was kind of hinting that perhaps rates didn't actually need to go up again. Um, looking through what the uh, the communique, the, the minutes said from the meeting, I guess we're going to a stage now whereby rates might have topped out. But if that's going to be the case, then we're going to have to see much better behave both price and wages data. Otherwise, we could well see another 25 basis points at the May MPC. Fallout from all these banking uh, community issues. Uh, well, the bank did its best to dismiss it in a sense that its own financial policy committee came out and said that the UK banking system is robust and it's got strong capital and liquidity positions like most other central banks are saying at the moment. Um, indeed, they maintain it's well placed to support the economy in a whole wide range of economic scenarios, including in a period of high interest rates such as we have so far. So uh, probably it had little impact at the end of the day on the rate decision, but clearly if things do deteriorate further, that could very much quickly change. Um, what else I'll be mentioning, well, as far as the UK is concerned, the economy, at least the economic view coming out of the Bank of England is certainly getting increasingly better. They revised the way they're expected 0.4% contraction in real GDP in the first quarter. They're now kind of expecting it to be pretty well flat. No recession expected this year. So over the course of what the last three months or so, the bank's view on where the economy is heading has really has changed quite significantly. And certainly, although it's still going to be one of the weaker economies in Europe and indeed amongst the G7 as far as 2023 is concerned it is looking uh, significantly brighter than it was not very long ago but I guess you know pulling it all together the bottom line as far as Europe's concerned is that most central banks are pretty well still in tightening mode they're downplaying the effects of the potential fallout from the, the banking sector wobbles but they still very much got a wary eye on them and indeed I guess that's reflected uh, just going back to the Bank of England, uh, where they were quick to um, ad address the issue of the uh, Silicon uh, Valley Bank when it came out and arranged the purchase uh, of the UK arm by HSBC Bank uh, within about 24 hours or so of the announcement from SVB coming out on the Friday. So they certainly look to address that very quickly. And there's certainly suspicion still that there could be some banks with problems. OK, well, I guess then that is probably about it for today. Takeaways, well, I suppose lessons learnt from the global financial crisis in 2008 should mean that global banking sector is now much better equipped to deal with unexpected surprises. But as we saw a couple of weeks ago, when confidence is lost, capital moves very fast and contagion effects can be very hard to contain. In fact, according to the new Bank of America survey taken between March the 10th and the 16th, global fund managers saw financial market stability risks at their highest level since last November. And that was due to the largest monthly increase since March 2022. The shift, people recall, was just after Russia invaded Ukraine. So far, the official response seems to have broadly worked, but it's early days yet and investor nerves are not going to dissipate overnight. So for now, at least 
economic and policy outlook um, must remain very clouded. So then it's just as well that all the key market moving data and events can be found and clearly analysed in Econoday's global economic calendar. Do take a look. And on behalf of Terry, Brian, Max and me, thanks as always for listening. We hope to see you again next time. Bye for now.